0: This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others, and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go
1: to Tyndale.com.
0: Hey friends, welcome to the Grace Enough podcast. I am your host, Amber Cullum. Each episode, I sit down with a guest to discuss their life journey and how the grace of God has impacted them along the way. After listening to today's episode, I hope you are encouraged that God can use you right now in the midst of your day-to-day life. Yes, it requires daily surrender and trust, but we must remember His grace is enough. Welcome to episode 35 of the Grace Enough podcast. Are you following Grace Enough on social media? There, I share quotes from podcast guests, resources I recommend, current podcast happenings, and what God is doing in my life. On Instagram and Facebook, search Grace Enough Podcasts underscore Amber and follow along. It is a gift to connect with my listeners. This week, I chat with Sharon Miller. Sharon recently released her second book, Nice Why We Love to Be Liked and How God Calls Us to More. Sharon and I chat about the difference between niceness and kindness, the dangers of making words like authenticity and courage trendy, how God cultivates the fruit of the Spirit in us, and how knowing the depth of God's Word is vital as a believer. Listen to what Sharon says about discerning the difference between niceness and kindness.
1: One of the ways you can discern that difference in yourself is how you respond when somebody does not reciprocate your niceness or your kindness. Because niceness, when it is not reciprocated, it flips really quickly. (laughs) It goes into why, how could they respond that way? How could they treat me that way? I was so nice to them because ultimately niceness wasn't really about them. It was about you. But kindness, because kindness is about others, it's about God and others, it's it's being kind the way Jesus was kind, which is selflessly and sacrificially. It's not about eliciting a certain response. It's, it's about just loving them the way that, that God loves them, regardless of how they treat you. And that does take, that takes a fortitude. It takes true gospel conviction to do that.
0: After today's episode, I hope you were encouraged to dive deep into God's word asking Him to cultivate the fruits of the Spirit in your life. Good morning, Sharon. Thank you so much for being on the Grace Enough podcast this morning.
1: Oh, it's my honor. I'm
0: excited. Will you go ahead before we jump into all of our questions and talking about your new book, Nice, and just introduce our listeners to you and your family and let them know a little bit about what you do.
1: So I live in Durham, which is not too far from you, and my husband and I planted a church here just under a year ago. It's September 30th is the year mark. So Mm -hmm. we are just in the throes of being brand new church planters. And that has been hard, but also amazing at the same time. We have three kids. One is about to turn seven. And then I have a four year old and an 18 month old, two boys and a girl. And Mm -hmm. our little girl we are just obsessed with her. Yes. (laughs) Yes. We are obsessed with her. She's so cute. She's so sweet. We all just orbit around her. Yeah, that's where we are and what we do. And then on top of all that, as if that's not enough, I am also an author and I travel and I speak. And so this season of our lives is... A little bit, a little bit bonkers, but it is—it's full with really good things. So we, my husband and I, run at a pretty high pace, but we—we we really enjoy it.
0: Well, and you and your husband with the church planting, Ike is not just like you guys are co pastors together, correct?
1: Yes, yeah, so yeah. he has the lead pastor title and then I have more of a teaching pastor title just because awesome. I with with so much going on, I realized I couldn't commit to a whole lot more than that. Right. And so I teach, we share the teaching responsibility about 60, 40, like he's got 60%. I've got 40%. And then we also co-teach some, which we really, really enjoy. But yeah, we've been leading together and that has been, it's been challenging. It's been definitely a new chapter for our marriage, (laughs) 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 but it's also been really beautiful and people love it, especially when we co-teach our styles are very different. And we've been surprised at how much people especially enjoy that. And I think the the best way I can describe it is I think that when we lead together, it's almost like this callback to Adam and Eve in the garden where God had commissioned them together wow. to exercise dominion. And, and we've lost that and mm-hmm. we don't get to see couples leading together very often. And so it has been really meaningful to the people in our church to see us do that together. And, and that just, really surprised me. I, I honestly didn't expect it, but it's been so wonderful that people like it as much as they do. And so that's been fun.
0: I think that's really encouraging to me, even because I agree with that. Sometimes just to see two, you know, a man and a woman mm-hmm. teaching together, it's like we hear, so. thankfully that's changing. We hear so much like, no, just the man, just the man, mm-hmm. just the man. And I'm like, well, you know, there is quite <laughs> a bit of wisdom that can be be gleaned from individuals and couples together mm-hmm. so yeah yes yep, that, that's exactly. a whole different podcast for a different yes, day is.
1: Right? <laughs> that is a different topic <laughs> yeah. so
0: anyways share with our listeners a little bit about your journey with Jesus and how that began and then we'll jump right into your new book
1: Yeah, so I was raised in the church. I grew up in a Christian home and I have really wonderful, supportive parents, and they model Jesus really beautifully for us. And yeah, I just, I've never, I can't really remember a time when I didn't know Jesus and when he wasn't important to me. But when I was in college is when I really began to grow in my faith. I think that was when I started to make my faith more of my own than just my family's. And so I was really involved with FCA. And Me that too was...
0: in college. That's oh, awesome.
1: awesome. Yeah. <laughs> It was huge for me. And I just grew a ton in my faith in college. It was this really, really sweet time for me spiritually. And it was also during that time when I discerned a call to ministry And so when I graduated, I spent a year, I moved back to Charlotte, which is where I'm from. And I worked for Proverbs 31 Ministries and just kind of learned the ropes of ministry, women's ministry. And back then Proverbs 31 was tiny. It's a huge ministry now, but it was like five of us on staff. (laughs) It was really small. But yeah, it was great. It really got my feet wet. I learned a lot about traveling and speaking and Just all sorts of things, and then after that, I went back to seminary because I realized that I wanted to really equip myself for ministry. That I, I didn't just want to my call to be kind of about my testimony necessarily. Which at that time, I felt like for a lot of women with ministry platforms, that's kind of it was very testimony driven. Mm And like I just told you, my testimony is pretty straightforward and there's nothing wrong with that, but it's not like I wouldn't be able to write a book necessarily about it. Right. And so I I thought, you know what, though, like a lot of pastors, when they're called to ministry, they just go to seminary. (laughs) And so that's what I decided to do is I I went to seminary because I wanted to equip myself more. And everyone, you know, kind of has their own story of calling and their own story equipping, but that's mine. Well, tell us. So,
0: by the time this podcast comes out, Nice, your new book, will have launched. And it gave words to a lot of my own personal feelings. I am certainly not someone who um, walks into a room and just feels like I need to be the nicest person in the room to be yeah. liked. And I'm kind of actually yeah. grateful for that. But that's not most Christians' story. Uh-huh. and So one of the very first lines in the book is God did not call you to be nice? What does that mean? Why is that true? What made you decide to let that be that very first line in the introduction of the book?
1: Yeah, well, let me back up a little bit and just share kind of the story of how this book came to be. Sure. So, two years ago, I wrote a book called Free of Me. And in that book, I think it's the first chapter. Actually, I have a little paragraph where I was looking back on my my growing up years. And as I mentioned to you, I grew up in a Christian family, and I was a really good kid. I was a, just a nice Christian girl. I was a rule follower. I was a, an achiever. I was a people pleaser, and that was really a big part of my identity. And as I could look back. I think all along I felt like I was a good kid because I loved God and I wanted to honor God. And I think to some extent that was true. But I also could see that it was really rewarding to be a good kid. It earned me a lot of affirmation from all the adults in my life. And so I could look back and see this mixed motives in my heart and Mm. how that was blurring my identity as a Christian. And so I just had like a little paragraph about that in Free of Me, but I continued to just be haunted by that idea. And one reason why is that I notice that mentality was continuing to follow me into adulthood and specifically into ministry, how it is so beneficial when you are a nice Christian woman. It is beneficial when you're a nice Christian friend. It's beneficial when you're a nice Christian neighbor. And when you don't say the hard things, but you simply say the nice thing, Um, when you don't preach the hard things, but you simply preach the the nice things. Mm-hmm. And I really ran up against this a number of years ago on my blog where I was noticing some things that were happening in the world and feeling like Jesus has something to say about this. God's word has something to say about this. But then facing this crisis of, I don't know if my audience wants to hear that. <laughs> Oh, and yes. thinking, Hey, okay, if I write about this, what kind of response am I going to get? You know, will I lose my audience? Will people say that I'm distracting from the gospel? Will people, you know, not like me essentially. Mm-hmm. And so I, I noticed that in me, I noticed how niceness was playing out in, you know, relationships and just not saying the honest thing or the truthful thing, just for the sake of keeping the peace. And the more I, I noticed this. I just felt like, gosh, you know, this is a false virtue in our culture, Mm -hmm. but it's also a false idol in the church. And we don't see anywhere in the Bible that tells us to be nice. We are told, you know, we are told to bear fruits of kindness and patience and gentleness and love, but nowhere are we told to be nice. And while I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with being nice, I'm not on a crusade to villainize niceness, but when it becomes this, this, yeah, when it becomes this ultimate thing, when it becomes sort of a compass or our primary social filter, like how we're conducting ourselves in the world, but also how we're assessing other people, like we we will often excuse sin or dysfunction if a person is simply nice to us. Mm-hmm. And so I thought we've got to we've got to have a conversation about this. And so that was why I started out just cutting, you know, straight to the point in at the beginning of the book it's just saying, guys, God does not call us to be nice. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't call us to be mean. He doesn't call us to be aggressive. He doesn't call us to be divisive, but he doesn't call us to simply be pleasant
0: I appreciate you saying that because I feel like in our culture, just like we can associate, oh, she's a nice Christian girl as like, that means you're good. So often uh-huh. we do associate someone who boldly will share some hard truths with being mean. Uh-huh. And I'm like, yeah. they're yeah. not mean. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs>
1: Yeah, And I'm like,
0: that. that's such an unfair statement on either side.
1: Yeah. And it's becoming, I think because we're in such a polarized culture mm-hmm. right now, that's becoming even more true. When you speak into something and people, if they disagree with you, they'll just assume you're kind of attacking them. And maybe you are. I mean, maybe you could have said it more gently. But lots of times we'll just assume you are saying something that, that is too controversial, Um you are distracting from the gospel in some way. And really, I think what they're saying is, I don't like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I liked it better <laughs> when you just talked about Jesus, but not anything more specific than that.
0: Oh, yes. So,
1: yeah, it's, and, and I'll, I will be the first to admit, this is coming out of a place of my own grappling in repentance and realizing that, you know, I have done this myself. I have Mm -hmm. chosen to be nice instead of just saying, this is what God says. And you know, that we don't see niceness in the prophets, you know, people didn't like them either, but if we're going to honor their witness and that, that precedent, then sometimes people aren't going to think we're nice and it's not because we're being mean. It's just because they don't like it. And that's a hard truth to swallow. Well, and it's, it's, we're
0: probably a good match because on the opposite side of that, I mean, I've spent a lot of times in repentance for speaking the truth in an unkind way, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and that being more of my story and asking the Lord to cultivate in me a spirit of kindness and gentleness when I am speaking some of those truths, because at the end of the day, I'm not trying to come across as a jerk Mm -hmm. or as someone who, well,
1: and the other thing yeah, the other thing that I, so, you know, I use this metaphor of fruit throughout mm-hmm. the book, and the reason I thought that this this metaphor is really helpful, Jesus uses it. He He says that you will know a tree by its mm-hmm. fruit, and this metaphor is helpful because nice Christianity, like, quote-unquote, nice Christianity, it looks a lot like the real thing. Yeah. And so Jesus says the way that you can know that it's not the real thing is just look at the fruit that it's producing. So in the first half of the book, I look at, okay, what are the bad fruits of niceness? And some of them are exactly what you would think, authenticity. You know, you're fake instead of being honest or se- instead of being yourself. You're, you're just nice. Cowardice, you know, mm-hmm. instead of saying what is true, you, you kind of cow to your, your fear of being rejected. But some of the fruits are really unexpected, like self-righteousness. Mm-hmm. And this doesn't look like niceness on its face, but it's a fruit of it. And that was a hundred percent my story because I was such a good girl. And you know, I, I would think like being good is so easy. You know, why, why, what's wrong with these other people that, that aren't nice like me, instead of owning the fact that, well, part of the reason you're good is because you're a slave to people's affirmation <laughs> and approval.
0: Preach girl.
1: <laughs> and so, you know, instead of being humble about my own sin, I just look down on other people. And so I think that that is a, a bad fruit that, actually doesn't look nice, but it is a fruit of niceness. And then another one that is a fruit of niceness that's really surprising, it doesn't seem like it would come from niceness is cynicism. I have a chapter Mm. on cynicism and how when we think we, we kind of exist in a world that almost, even though we're Christians, it's almost like we believe in karma, where if you just put, you know, good out, that good will come back. And if I'm just nice to people, then they'll be nice back. And If you operate that way, eventually the world is not going to return that. And Mm -hmm. when you have that idealistic worldview and that that worldview shatters, oftentimes it slips from niceness into this bitterness and this hardness. And so those are, are fruits that don't look like niceness at all. But that is how they originated. That is the tree that they came from.
0: You do have in your book that chapter about cynicism. And we'll talk a little bit more about Paul and kind of how he avoided that. But before we get into that, so many times in our culture, we do confuse niceness with kindness. And you have some just beautiful text in the book about that. And so, you know, what is the difference between niceness and kindness? What's the separator there?
1: Yeah, so the person that really helped me out with this, this idea is not original to me, is an author named, I believe it's Barry Corey. He has a book called Love Kindness, and in it, he talks about this distinction, and the distinction he drew was so helpful to me. He said that niceness has, it has soft edges and this soft core. It's just kind of squishy all around. Now, harshness has hard edges and a hard core. It's just hard all around. But kindness, it has those soft edges of niceness. It has the gentleness. It has love. It has patience. But instead of that squishy center, it has a firm core. And so Mm -hmm. it also has conviction. It has a spine. And that's the difference between them. And I, I think that one of the ways you can discern that difference in yourself is how you respond when somebody does not reciprocate your niceness or your kindness. Because niceness, when it is not reciprocated, it flips really quickly. (laughs) It goes into why, how could they respond that way? How could they treat me that way? I was so nice to them. Because ultimately, niceness wasn't really about them. It was about you. But kindness, because kindness is about others, it's about God and others, it's it's being kind the way Jesus was kind, which is selflessly and sacrificially. It's not about eliciting a certain response. It's, it's about just loving them the way that, that God loves them, regardless of how they treat you. And that does take, that takes a fortitude. It takes true gospel conviction to mm-hmm. do that.
0: Yes, I love that. I mean, I don't know... Particularly the way, like you said, that the author described niceness and kindness. That's such a good uh, Mm -hmm. just way to look at kindness. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, there is depth there. It's not just something you're putting on to please others.
1: Yeah. Well, and that's really throughout the book. There's this theme and it becomes more prominent at the end. but that concept of sacrifice is really essential to understanding the difference between niceness and the real fruit of the spirit, Mm -hmm. because niceness is ultimately about you, even though it looks like it's about other people. It's, it's about what it gets you. It Mm -hmm. makes your relationships easier. It helps your career. It helps your ministry when you are blandly appealing to everybody. Mm -hmm. It just does but that's not, you know, what we're called to. <laughs> exactly. You know, We're not called to <laughs> nothing because of what it gets us. Right. And so that to me, that sacrifice piece, are you willing to count the cost? Are you willing to lay yourself down out of love for God and others is a huge distinction? Well, and
0: something else you talk about is this current trend of, you know, being authentic, being brave, which we will both agree are, completely valuable yes to the gospel and it was interesting because while I was reading the book you know you quoted my absolute favorite C.S. Lewis book Screwtape Letters and then then at another point you're talking about your parents like watching true crime and I'm like I'm definitely gonna (laughs) love this book this book these are like my two favorite things true crime (laughs) and and screw tape (laughs) letters I mean who knew (laughs) but anyways in that part I'm like goodness that book like transcends Every culture, every time, like every season, because it's just like everything he writes is applicable to us. But with that, you write like authenticity itself has become so fashionable that it's now a tool for manipulating people, something you (laughs) perform in order to get what you want. Uh And then something else you write is our language about courage is more often fun and inspiring than Mm -hmm. it is gritty and sacrificial. And so what are some of those dangers of the way we've began tossing around those phrases? You know, be authentic, be Mm -hmm. kind, be brave. Yeah. What are some of those dangers for the believer?
1: Oh, goodness. That's, you just named two huge ones. And so I'm trying to figure out where to even start with either one. (laughs)
0: Right? Well, just take one because it, it, I mean, I just look on social media sometimes and I'm like, that's not really being courageous. I mean, mm-hmm. those yep. simple little. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's where we dig in. Like, what is yeah, being so, courageous?
1: Courage. So someone that really helped me with this is Karen Swallow Pryor. And she it was the timing was perfect. Are you familiar with Karen? I'm not. She. Oh, you please enlighten me. That. <laughs> she is she's she's a good friend of mine and she is a an English professor at Liberty and she is just brilliant and thoughtful and in so many ways she embodies the message of this book but she wrote a book that came out right around the time I was writing this book and I was so grateful for it because the book was essentially about the virtues and mm she had a chapter on courage, and she was reflecting on, you know, what is the difference between just courage, just kind of this abstract or idea of of courage that we have in our brains versus Christian courage, Mm -hmm. especially historically in the church, like how have Christians understood courage. And one thing that she explained is that, Courage, and this is really true of all of the, the Christian virtues, is that they are oriented towards God and self. They they have this higher purpose beyond mm-hmm. just being the thing. And that that really anchors our understanding of courage, that this is not just you having the courage to go skydiving, you know?
0: <laughs> right. To not, not drink yeah. vanilla creamer in your coffee this right, morning. Right, right,
1: right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and so it's not that those things don't take, you know, some level of bravery, but how Christian Christians have traditionally talked about courage in as much as it kind of calls you out of yourself and is oriented towards glorifying God and, and loving other people. And I think that that is what is often missing from our language about courage today, is that we could be courageous the way that our culture tends to talk about it, but never actually be courageous in a way that helps other people, Mm. or is is loving towards them, you are just kind of declared to be brave. If you follow the right people on Instagram, you're told literally every day how Mm -hmm. brave you are. Regardless, you could have just had a a day where you're just totally selfish about yourself. I I, and I'm not judging like that's me. (laughs) No, I get it. But cowardly i was i was probably cowardly but then i get on instagram and and i'm told no girl you are brave and i think what we need to We need to be discerning about that message and Mm -hmm. be honest with ourselves and be able to say, maybe I wasn't brave today. You know, Mm -hmm. maybe I backed down instead of saying something that needed to be said out of love for my neighbors, out Mm -hmm. of love for the vulnerable. You know, having that hard conversation with a relative who maybe said something really inappropriate Mm -hmm. and maybe you backed down in that moment, you weren't being brave, you just you just weren't. And so I think it's important for us to anchor our definition of courage towards loving God and loving other people. So it doesn't kind of collapse in on itself and just become this really self centered, self actualizing definition of it,
0: right? Courage is not me, 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 me. And what I did, even though like, People in their own personal lives are having to face illnesses and things like that courageously. That's not what we're talking about. But like, Uh you know, getting out of bed, getting dressed, eating Uh healthy food is maybe not something we should be describing as brave.
1: Yeah, and I mean, and that's not to say, like, maybe like I have a friend whose husband just passed away. Yeah. And and that is brave. Getting out of bed to like take care of her kids is really brave because she probably wants to just stay in her room all day. But that doesn't necessarily mean all of us are brave because we got out of bed this morning. Exactly. There (laughs) There are people in the world who really do need acts of selfless courage. Mm -hmm. They need the church to be the people of God in a courageous way. And when we fail to be that, it impacts people's lives. And right. we can look back on history and see that time and again when, when Christians failed to be courageous and it people suffered because right. of it. And so this isn't a, a low stakes. This isn't me haggling over semantics. This really, really matters for people in the world. Yeah.
0: What about authenticity? I mean, it has become such a.
1: Mm-hmm
0: an overused term and i think that we all do need to be uh-huh. more authentic because we need community and all of those things but it has been somewhat cheapened
1: mhm uh-huh. yeah you know i i share about this in the chapter how i debated on having even a chapter on this because authenticity is very trendy and so is courage yeah but authenticity it's very trendy and it's almost become a consumer good like it's how companies market themselves now and it's you know how churches are trying to market themselves as well and so that that part of me thought gosh you know do I really need to talk about this but then I thought well that's exactly why and, yes. and I think what it does is it reminds us how just sinful we are <laughs> just, <laughs> that we will take something good and real and make it fake. And that that is why we need Jesus, is that we will take even good things and we can distort them and break them just enough that they maybe resemble what they were, but they're not anymore. Yeah, that's that is so it continues to be so important. And it's a reminder of why authenticity is so hard as well. And we see this in the garden with Adam and Eve, you know, their first inclination in the face of sin was to hide. Mm-hmm. And so that really is it's going to just be the side of eternity. It's going to continue to be really hard and it's going to be a challenge, it's going to be a struggle that we have to confess and try and return to again and again. And niceness has a way of letting us out of that in a very appealing, you know, socially acceptable way. And mm-hmm. so I just thought it was really important to name that.
0: I would like to take a moment and briefly introduce our sponsor who is making this week's conversation possible, Hope Threads. This organization was founded by moms in North Raleigh who have been inspired and motivated to join with highly resilient and talented refugees as they learn English and develop marketable skills to support their families. These women come from countries with political turmoil where they had to fight for the safety of their families. They've been given the opportunity to come to the United States and the challenges still exist though they've changed face. Their children are generally thriving in school though they lack the language skills to understand what's being said in parent-teacher conferences or to know how to get their children proper medical care in the maze of a medical system. Multiple barriers exist that prevent these women from traditional employment opportunities as most of them do not have cars to get them to work, the finances to pay for childcare, or the language skills to communicate and advocate for themselves. Hope Threads was born out of relationships formed over years of serving these women by teaching them English or caring for their children as they learn. They are graciously hosted by Northridge Bible Church and have virtually no overhead cost as volunteers teach sewing skills and care for their children in a gospel-centered children's program. They started with baby items and have now expanded into also making women's earrings and dishcloths. You can find them online at hope-threads.com or on Instagram at hope.threads. Your purchase empowers a resilient refugee woman as she acculturates, learns new skills, and supports her family. You can also partner with Hope Threads by joining their sponsorship program. It is $25 for initial training materials for one woman. It is $25 to train a refugee woman for one day. It is $35 for 10 weeks for one child to be in their gospel child care curriculum. It is $150 for a woman to participate in Hope Threads' six-week training program. If you go to Hope-Threads and click on Sponsor, you will see all of these opportunities to partner with Hope Threads. Also, through the end of October, Hope Threads is generously offering 10% off any purchases made by Grace Enough podcast listeners. Go to hope-threads.com and at checkout, enter GRACE10 for 10% off. Well, and then you do go on to talk quite a bit about discernment. And I mean, discernment's just one of those things, you know, that I'm even talking often to with my kids and my friends Uh and just saying like this, I mean, discernment is something, you know, pray for it, ask for it because it's Uh going to make all the difference, especially in this world where there's just constantly input coming in to tell you to do something worldly to Uh believe you know to buy into these ideas that are often God's ideas but to to begin with but we've distorted them Uh and so um, I mean we won't dig in too much to discernment because I obviously I'm like go read the book it's really really good but kind of switching gears there a little bit with niceness, you talk a little bit about how niceness can disguise aggression and how that can kind of play out in the workplace and the church a little bit. What are some ways that you've seen that happen?
1: Well, I think we are seeing that right now in the news. <laughs> <Every day. laughs> you know, we, niceness is this veneer that we are happy to believe and accept in other people, especially when it's really beneficial to us to do so. Uh, You know, when it's kind of our tribe, our people, our leaders, our camp, we will kind of excuse the corruption in people who have meant a lot to us or who have been nice to us. And I think we see that whenever there's a pastor with a moral failing. Mm -hmm. And it's such a... gosh, it's so, this is so hard when Mm -hmm. somebody that you has meant so much to you, has taught you, has grown you up in the faith, maybe they've baptized you or baptized your kids and they've just meant a lot to you. And then it's revealed that you weren't seeing the whole picture of them. Mm -hmm. That can be really just devastating. Mm -hmm. But oftentimes what, will do is we'll kind of circle the wagons or we'll say, you know, that can't be who they are, that, that can't be true, or we won't believe it altogether. We'll just reject what we are actually seeing. And this was the tragedy of what happened with USA Gymnastics and yes. that Dr. Larry Nassar, who abused hundreds of girls, and some of these girls actually went to their parents or they mm-hmm. went to other authorities and or, or adults in their lives and said this happened to me and they were not believed mm-hmm. because he was this good nice doctor he was this upstanding citizen in the community he had this great reputation so they people didn't see what was basically in front of their faces because they were just wooed by niceness.
0: Mm.
1: And so I think that that is the challenge because very often it's, you know, some people are great liars. They are excellent. Oh
0: my goodness. It's unreal.
1: But sometimes we choose not to see, you know, we choose not to discern Mm -hmm. because we don't want to. We don't want to know the truth. It's too painful. It's too hard. But we really, the, the example of USA Gymnastics reminds us this matters for protecting people from predators, you right. know, and not just those people, but
0: years and years and mm-hmm. people following the mm-hmm. ones who have actually brought it up, you know, finally, yep. that being exposed has now protected how many mm-hmm. more girls that would have mm-hmm. maybe been in that exact same situation
1: or in the church, how people's faiths are affected. And I think Oftentimes what happens, what really is the nail in the coffin of of people's relationship with the church is not necessarily that they were abused, but that their own church didn't advocate for them or didn't protect them when they came forward. And it's we don't have to protect Jesus's reputation. You know, Mm. Jesus's reputation is fine. but oftentimes what we are doing in those moments when we think we're protecting Jesus is we're protecting ourselves. Absolutely. And, and that's what niceness is about.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and the, like you said earlier, the first half of the book really talks about, you know, the fruits of niceness. But in the second half, you really start talking about how, you know, how do you cultivate a healthier tree, healthier fruit? And I'm so grateful that you prefaced that second part by saying, you know, spiritual growth is not something we muster up. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, to quote the book, it says, it is not a sheer act of will, it is God who enables our growth. How do you confront your own urge toward niceness? Because you have said this is something that you dealt with for years and years. So how do you confront that urge?
1: Well, so the second half of the book, as as you just said, originally, I was going to have the second half of the book be kind of a mirror image of The Or maybe the photo negative is a better metaphor of of the first half. And so I was going to have the first half look at the bad fruits of niceness and then the second half look at the good fruit of the spirit. But then the more I thought about it, I thought, well, I'm missing some steps there. Because fruit doesn't just grow on its own. It's it's cultivated. And we see that in nature. And I've experienced that in my life where I like in gardening and I share this in the book that I'm I'm a plant killer. I'm really bad (laughs) with plants because I don't know what I'm doing. There's steps, there's you know, there's there's things that you need to know, and I don't have that information. And because of that, even with my best intentions, I end up just overwatering, or you know, who knows? I have I... never done that, Sharon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I it's so. I do have one plant in my house right now that I've kept alive for probably six months, and I'm very, I'm, I'm pat myself on the back daily for it. it. You have to, you have to learn how to actually cultivate. And so I looked uh, looked into these gardening practices and talk to, you know, farmers and things like that about how, how do you actually cultivate fruit and discover different, different practices. But I tried to connect those to spiritual disciplines. And I think that's a phrase that can feel very formal or intimidating, or I don't know what that means. And so I tried to make it really, really practical. But just another way to describe it is I'm giving you the steps to cultivate your own soul mm. so that these fruit are in the ideal environment to grow now at the end of the day it's god who gives the growth mm-hmm. but we you know partner with him through mm-hmm. these these practices of, of cultivating and so i look at a lot of different there's so many throughout the second half of the book just hopefully they'll be really practical to people but you know based on what we've just talked about the different things we've talked about courage is one that i realized i think we all want to be the kind of person that if we are faced with this huge option to do the right thing and have courage we want to be the kind of person who will have courage in that that moment that defining moment but the truth is when we look back on history and we see people that that did that they didn't just wake up one morning brave and ready to make this huge altering decision. They had been formed into being that kind of person through, you know, smaller acts of, of bravery. They practiced courage throughout their lives. And so I view that as now, you know, what are these small opportunities to to show Christian courage? What are just small, small ways? And sometimes that I don't know if this will feel like big or small, but sometimes for me, this means if I'm in a conversation with like a relative who says something that is racist, yes. just having the courage to, to and not to be a jerk about it, not to be self-righteous, but to just push back and say, you know, that, that isn't true and that mm-hmm. that isn't right. And that doesn't reflect the heart of God. And cause you know, I think we look back on the civil rights movement and think if I had lived then I would have, you know, I, I would have yes. stood up, done the right thing. But if you can't confront your aunt you know right now (laughs) yeah then you wouldn't have you know Mm -hmm. so it's finding those and I'm sure there's other examples that are even less intimidating than that but just strengthening that courage muscle Mm -hmm. strengthening it whenever you have the opportunity instead of brushing it off and saying this doesn't matter if I'm nice right now it doesn't matter but realizing no that that's how you Cultivate your soul. That's how you strengthen that that courage muscle in your heart.
0: Well, yeah, and that's an example, you know, like you said, for your life. And I mean, I think that's an example for everybody's life. But it's important for people to think about what are the areas in your life, where you go out of your way to just be nice, and there's something in you that starts feeling like I either need to say something here. I need to walk away from this situation. You know, that's the discernment of God. Mm -hmm. When you start feeling that or you continuously go into a situation and you're just always nice and kind of people pleasing, but there's something in you that, that this like nudge towards, no, you need to speak up here or you need to do something different. Like that's the discernment. I mean, That's Mm -hmm. what it is. That's when you got to start exercising the muscle.
1: Yeah. And that's, that's also why I wanted to look at how are you actually cultivating your soul? Because every situation is different. It is. And I didn't want to just say, instead of being nice, you know, be bold. Because sometimes based on the situation for you doing the right thing, being brave or being truthful actually means being silent for the moment. Yes. And listening. Um, or just holding your tongue. You know, it's going to play out in different ways. And so I didn't want to just say this is what you should do, but instead, how are you becoming the kind of person who can exercise wise discernment mm-hmm. in the moment?
0: Yes. Well, and you go on to talk a little bit about Paul and just how, you know, if we, if we go into the kind of the cynic, you know, he did know God's word and God's word is what he allowed to really shape him uh-huh. in his responses and how he lived. I mean, in everything. And so, you know, those beliefs did keep him from becoming a cynic. And you do a great job sharing about that. But share a few of those tools that you, you know, that Paul did use to shape his own countercultural movements towards Jesus becoming more Christ-like
1: yeah well, that's the thing that is so unbelievable to me, and it's true of Paul and Jesus that these are men who loved people dearly, and Paul writes really affectionately to a lot of churches i mean, this is a man who just has this heart full for for his brothers and sisters in Christ, and same with Jesus. But this was, Paul was also a man, and so was Jesus, who was horribly betrayed Mm -hmm. by other Christians and just backstabbed. And he was, in Philippians, he talks about being in prison and that there's these rival Christians who are essentially rejoicing in his imprisonment. And it's, I just don't understand how he could go through that and not, just washes hands of Christianity or at least you know the church. I think that's how a lot of people move away from the church right. is they're, they're hurt by the church understandably. Mm-hmm. It's you know really painful and and horrible and difficult. And so it's no wonder that people could have resentment or bitterness grow in their heart, but we we don't see that in Paul and we don't see that in Jesus. And as I was looking at their lives and trying to understand how did they manage this? I think that they had a healthy understanding of humanity, first of all, and this is all scripture informed. They had this scripture soaked understanding of humanity and the portrait of humanity that we see in scripture is a very complex one yes. where they, people are good and bad. Mm-hmm. All people are good and bad. And some of the great heroes of scripture, you know, King David, Abraham, Moses, you know, these are are men who murdered. They were men who committed adultery. They they just did all these horrible things. And yet they have these great shining moments of faithfulness and they were used by God to do incredible things. And so you look at this portrait of humanity that we see in scripture and you realize that When people, when someone that you have loved, that you have looked up to, who has been meaningful to you, turns out not to be nice, not to be the person that you thought they were, that doesn't have to shatter your entire way of seeing the world, because we have already seen this in scripture. Mm. And on top of that, that portrait of humanity runs straight through us. And so it's not as if you or I can sit on this high horse, (laughs) Right, (laughs) and just look down and and not really, I don't wrestle as much now with being surprised by people's brokenness because I just, you know, everybody's broken. We just all are. But what I wrestle with more now is my own self-righteous indignation that, you know, how could they do that as if I could not. And just remembering that I've been forgiven just as much as the next person. And Having that that humility, those two things really, really help me to not descend into to cynicism. But I think just flat, shallow niceness is not equipped for that kind of work in yourself.
0: Yeah, well, and just holding and you, you kind of say this, not in these words, but you know, holding in both hands on this hand, you know, you've got we're, made in the image of God and every single person bears that image, but holding in the other hand, the reality that every single human being is broken uh-huh. and how those two collide. Yep. I mean, it's just, it's a very, like you said, it's a very complex thing. And even when you read in scripture, you know, humanity, it's just a complex issue. And that's why reading all of scripture is so valuable. And you talk about that as well. And just the whole ocean. um Share a little bit about that, what you write about scripture and what you see on the surface versus what you see in the depths.
1: Yeah, well, that was, I believe, if I'm remembering correctly, that was where I talked about how all of that comes from really studying scripture mm-hmm. and how we, lots of times we have faiths that are kind of informed by random verses here or there. And when we do that, it, it can be helpful in a lot of ways. But the the comparison I make is an, is an ocean. And when you're standing on the beach, we, we actually were just at the beach. We were in Puerto Rico for our anniversary. And it was so it was so beautiful and the water lapping on the shore was just this aquamarine it was so oh my goodness, I wanted, I was trying to just imprint the visual on my brain. was <laughs> so
0: beautiful.
1: And I think lots of times for a lot of us, that's how we engage scripture is at that level where it is beautiful and it is powerful and it's, it's inspiring in so many ways, but it's also very, very shallow. Mm-hmm. And if you go deeper you discover this entire world that exists underneath the surface of the ocean. And that is the same with scripture, where if we would just go deeper, if we would know the whole word of God, and if we would especially press in on the sections that are really hard and really confusing, or maybe we don't like or don't understand that those tend to be you mine some of the greatest just gems of mm-hmm. insight in those passages but you have to press in and your your faith can't just be a instagram verse <laughs> a right. day of a faith as as much as you know that can feel really good there's just so it much it doesn't more.
0: sustain you long term Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that is always like I read that page this weekend. It was my 40th birthday. Ooh, girl. Oh, girl. Um, but I had a, friends from all walks of life who came to celebrate. And we were I actually read a page from the book and it was the one that was about the ocean. But primarily just to say like the depth of God's word, the entirety of it is what sustains us for the long haul. The verses that we memorize are those, you know, They're amazing and they're needed, but it's what triggers our brain to remember the deep truths that run through the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And you can't get that if the only thing that you ever do is read a few of the highlights on Instagram or even just sit on in sermons on Sunday only your whole life. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just because it can't be a pastor's job to truly teach you every single truth. Mm God has to offer you. So anyways, we wrap up the show with a couple of questions about grace. And so what is a season in your life? I mean, we all cling to the grace of God every day, but there are times that it's just thank you, Jesus, for your grace. I would not be able to survive
1: this experience
0: Mm -hmm. without it. Do you have a season, an event that you could share with us where you really had to cling to God's grace?
1: Uh, I would say last summer we had just moved. We had just had a baby. I was writing this book and we were about to launch our church. And it was <laughs> crazy town, wasn't it? It was ridiculous. <laughs> I, I really, in, in a lot of ways, this book itself is a sign of God's grace because mm. I could hardly think straight. And I needed to focus on this book, but I was also trying to focus on the church, and there's just not enough brain bandwidth in a human being to do that well. Mm-hmm. And so I was constantly just asking God, and and I've this has become a big prayer of mine, really, ever since becoming a mom and just being tired and stretched. Was I'm going to give you what I have, and I need you to multiply it yeah. because I'm not I'm not enough, and so. I was praying that a lot in writing this book. And even after it went through edits and everything and people started to read, read the book, I was really nervous because I was afraid it would not make sense.
0: (laughs) It makes sense.
1: I was was so just pressed on all sides while I wrote this that I was, I I can barely even remember writing parts of it. (laughs) And so I, I. Have been so grateful to go back and say, okay, no, you know, God was with me in it. He gave me my provision of concentration and focus and coherence because, yeah, the feedback I've been getting on it has been wonderful and encouraging. And I can only say it's just because of God's grace because I was not enough to be all the things that I needed to be last summer and I really hope we never do that again
0: (laughs) well isn't that what is it there's like I can't remember there's you know the top five things that are most likely to break you or break your marriage or whatever it's you know moving new job new baby like Uh that's (laughs) yeah well that happened to us when we moved to raleigh it was you know new job for my husband new house you're moving like to a new state i had a 9 month old and it ended up being you know we survived it but you do look back and you're like okay lord you're the for me you're the only way that things didn't just start falling apart yep yep mm-hmm. you provided you're faithful and i'm glad to be able to look back i hope it never happens again Yep, Mm -hmm. (laughs) But we can say you were faithful through it. If you had any wisdom to give to your great-grandchildren, if they were listening to this years from now, what's something you'd like to share with them?
1: Oh, goodness. That is such a hard question. I guess I would say one thing that, that is just on my heart lately is seeing so many Christians losing their faith right now Mm -hmm. and feeling just so heartbroken over it. And in a lot of ways, I think that this is the bad fruit of nice Christianity that we are seeing, that we have discipled people into this kind of shallow, feel good sentimentality. And it is now being revealed for what kind of fruit that bears, and so I, I think through, I, I think about that like with my own kids that mm. I don't want to be discipling them into something that is superficial and that is just an image. You know, I don't ever want to be, you know, pressuring them into a box because of how it reflects on me, um, especially with us leading a church, and so. I guess what I would say to my own kids and to to my grandkids and my, my great grandkids is that you are, first of all, you are loved no matter what. And even when we fail at that, that God's love never, ever fails. Yeah. But to also say that God is big enough for your questions. Yes. And we we really encouraged whenever we get really hard questions and we have those with people in our church all the time and and it ranges everywhere from how do you explain suffering to you know the authority of scripture to sexual ethics there's so many questions and the temptation is to just explain this is why we believe what we believe and this is the right answer but instead to say i'm so glad that you're asking these questions Because it means you are diving into that deep end that I was talking about, the ocean of God. And so many of us are just splashing around on the shore when this whole ocean awaits us. And so I want that to be my orientation towards my kids and and to people who are exploring faith is to say that that God is not threatened by your questions. And so I don't have to be threatened by them either. God is God. (laughs) Right. And he can handle it. And so you can ask those questions and just know that you will be loved every step of the way.
0: Well, and it's like, I believe he wants us to ask the question, you know,
1: like Mm -hmm. he wants to
0: give you the answer. But just remember, it may not come in like overnight and it might but just yeah. keep wrestling with him.
1: Yeah. And, and ask the question in earnestness. Yeah. Because sometimes I think the question is asked actually as an excuse. Like I don't want the answer. Mm. And so to just say, if, if you're asking that question, really mean it. Like, I really want you to seek the answer and to, and, you know, you might not always find the answer that is satisfying because God's infinite and we're not, but to to earnestly be open to what God might have to say to you. So awesome.
0: Well, Sharon, where can our listeners find you on social media and all the places?
1: Well, you can read just a little description of the book at thenicebook.com. And that will also take you to my website where my, my poor neglected blog is. <laughs> Um, And that that website is sheworships.com. But you can also find me on social media. Uh, Instagram is just Sharon H. Miller. And I I try and use social media to encourage people and and point them to truth and so um, hopefully people can feel that there. Social media can be kind of a soul-killing place sometimes.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, and if you are in, you know, the Triangle area and you, you know, just happen to be looking for a church, what's the name of your church that you're, you all have it recently is, launched?
1: It's Bright City Church. And we meet in the South Point Mall movie theater. Awesome. It's a beautiful movie theater.
0: Sharon, thanks so much for being well, here today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Resources, links, and quotes from today's conversation can be found at graceenoughpodcast.com under the show notes tab. If you are enjoying the show, I would like to ask you a few favors. Number one, make sure you are subscribed to the podcast. You can head over to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and iHeartRadio. Clicking that subscribe button helps to make sure you never miss a new episode of the podcast. Number two, if you enjoy the show, Would you take a moment to leave a review on iTunes? Those reviews help me to know how the show is impacting you. And number three, the best way to grow is for people like you to share it with your friends. Will you share your favorite Grace Enough podcast episode via text, email, or social media? Again, I'm so grateful for each one of you who listen week in and week out.
1: Thank you for listening to the Grace Enough podcast. Tune in next time.